Well, are you born for this? What an exciting time we have got. You've just got me for a couple of weeks. And um, we're just going to unpack um, a little bit about Nehemiah. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you are just one of them people who just excel in any, everything. Maybe there are a few, and I'm sure there's a few here as well. Maybe just at work, you just at the top. You are the top of everything that you do at work. Maybe at school or at university, it just comes really natural. You just fly them A's out like that. Maybe you're an athlete in sport and you might be getting bored with being number one all the time. I don't know what that felt like, but anyway, maybe you are one of them people. Let me just say to you today, even if you are the first in everything and life comes pretty easy, God can still use you. So be encouraged. Maybe some of you are a little bit more like me. Maybe just a little bit ordinary. Just maybe you have highs and lows and some things you work hard at, you do really well. And some things you work hard at and you don't do so well. Maybe you're just an ordinary, everyday type of person. I want to tell you that every time I read my Bible, most of the extraordinary things that happen through the Bible, are done through ordinary people. So don't worry if you are just excelling and you're amazing, God can still use you. But if you today sat there a little bit like me, just pretty normal, pretty average, maybe you have some excellent some things and not everything, let me encourage you that as you go through the characters in the Bible, every time, just about, Ordinary people doing an ordinary day, being faithful in ordinary things, do extraordinary exploits in the power of Jesus. So, if you are open today, if you are ordinary, and if you are super ordinary, if you are still open today, to put your life into Jesus, to know that you created for a purpose that you know that God's got a calling over your life, that you know who God is, that you have no doubt who he is in your life. I wonder, would you give him everything today? To say, God, just take my average. Take who I am. I give it to you. But let me just say, a little word of warning. When God uses you, it always comes at a personal cost. It will cost you sometimes in lots of pain. There's times of agony and rejection from people that we thought were with us. It can be times of heartache. Sometimes it can be long nights of a lot of tears. There can be times that you feel like you failed. Sometimes it can be a lonely road. And that there are times when you will doubt yourself and feel discouraged. But when you sacrifice and you see others are impacted, that their lives are transformed, that they glorify God through something that you've been part of, all the sacrifices outweigh to what you see in front of you. Forgive me, guys, but the only way I can really describe it that first comes to mind is that I have two wonderful daughters that I'm very blessed with, but it's just giving birth. It is a lot of agony. 
Sorry if you're pregnant today, but I'm sure it will be for you. But there's a lot of agony. There's a lot of kind of what is going on. I don't think I can do this, but what I've started, we will have to complete. And um, you just you are praying like you've never prayed before. And you can go to levels of pain that you've never been before. But when you see that child, when you hold that baby in your arms, all that pain, all the time that you feel like you failed, you weren't going to do it, all that discouragement and the upset and the confusion and why me, everybody else seems to just pop them out like peas, but I can't do this. When you look at that baby, it is worth the sacrifice. When you look at somebody's life transformed and there's glorifying God and they're on a journey, I can tell you today, it's worth the sacrifice. About three months ago, um, I was uh, woke up through the night by the Holy Spirit and it's not very often this happens to me through the night. I like my sleep. So it had to really be the Holy Spirit and uh, we won't, I won't be... I'll share it another time, but all I'm saying is it we woke me up very clearly to read Nehemiah. And I was at that point going, Lord, is this you? Is this me? I'll, that's great. I'll, when I get up in the morning, I will read the book of Nehemiah. And it kept prompting me, no, read now, read now, read now. And I thought, well, if I put the light on, it's going to disturb Jonathan. The only way I could do that is to read on my phone, but the light will disturb Jonathan. So I'm talking like this to God. God, well, the only thing way it would work, God, is if Jonathan turned on his side and then my phone wouldn't disturb him. Guess what happened? Instantly, <laughs> Jonathan turned on his side. And, and that night I, I read a Nehemiah and I really meditated on Nehemiah. And God spoke to me on a lot of personal issues. And I don't know if you know the story of Nehemiah, but Nehemiah is a gentleman in the Old Testament who had, became broken, a broken heart for his people. He came to a point in his life that he decided he could not sit and do nothing anymore. That somebody had to do something. And if nobody was doing anything, he'd give it a go. In Nehemiah 2, chapter 2, verse 18, it said, so they began the good work. And that is my prayer today, that as I just share a few thoughts with you, as the Holy Spirit um, just creates yet again and stirs that passion up inside you, that you'll begin the good work. Let's just pray. Holy Spirit, I just pray, Father God, that you will stir up the work in each one of us that you've created us to do, that we would be open to you, and that we would run and not grow weary, and that we would not look at the years that we've lost, but we would look at the years that we can gain in you. We know you, with us joined to you, that is a majority every time. And so I pray, Father Lord, that we would look in your eyes and not through our eyes. Stir the passion, Holy Spirit, and speak through me this morning in your precious name. Amen. So Nehemiah, a little bit about his background. Um, he was not a pastor. He'd not been to Bible college. He wasn't from the priestly line. He wasn't anything of any major position that you would expect of his day. He wasn't a king. He wasn't a warrior. He wasn't a prophet. He was just an ordinary guy on an ordinary day. But he did have a lot of influence. You see, he was 
a part of a slavery from his from the Jewish from his Jewish background, and he had a part of an influence to look after the king. He was what you'd call a cupbearer, and the king was from Persia, and he would look after him. He was loyal to him. He would be very well looked after. He'd be eating the king's food and tasting his wine. And the whole point of the cupbearer was to make sure that the king was safe. His ear would be to the ground to hear if he'd heard any plots that were going on in the area. Because many times people were trying to plot against different kings and many times they succeeded. So he was of a place of influence and he would be around the king every day. He was very, very comfortable. Imagine living in the king's presence every day and being looked after. The king did not worship the God that Nehemiah worshipped. Nehemiah was a God-fearing man. He was working in a secular environment and yet he still worshipped God. So don't let that be an excuse for you today. Don't be put off today, can I be strong in serving God in the school, in the university, in my workplace, with my family, in my neighbourhood? Of course you can. Keep your eyes fixed on God. doesn't matter what they believe, you can still have an influence for people around you. This was an ordinary day and he heard some news that changed his life. In Nehemiah uh, chapter 1 verse 2, his, one of his brothers called Hanani came and when it says one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived exile and also about Jerusalem he wasn't ready what was coming back his brother really didn't want to tell him what had been going on because it was a really bad picture I'll explain a little bit in a minute why it was such a bad picture but you know, sometimes in life, I call it the okie-dokie Christians, and this is where the Jews had been. You see, 140 years previously, they said in uh, 586 BC, Israel was worshipping God, and then they turned away from God. And then they put their trust back in God again. And then they went their own way again. I'm sure this does not relate to anybody here but Israel has seen God broke through time and time and time again. And sometimes I have this little nickname called the Okie Dokie Christian. Maybe you knew the old song. You put your right foot in, your right foot out. You know it. Yeah. In, out, in, out, and shake it all about. You do the Okie Dokie and you turn around. That's what it's all about. Sometimes... I see people, they put the right foot in Jesus on a Sunday. You are amazing. Them songs spoke to me. I am going for you. I believe in you. You make me brave. I've got nothing to fear. Monday. Oh, that was a bit of a smutty joke. Oh, a bit of swearing going on here. Mm, 
hmm, started laughing going on, but it's okay because Tuesday's coming. Ah, this connect group and we worship you, God. You've got a place for me. Yes, I'm in and I give you my whole heart. Wednesday comes, we go out on the town and we have a good time. Bit of too much alcohol and a bit of too much wine. Wobble, 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 you know that's not good, but it's okay. Why is it okay? Because God always forgives me. He knows my heart. In, out, in, out, and shake it all about. Sunday's coming, and we'll be all right again. Communion, God knows, and he puts it all right. But you know, the Israelites, the, they were doing this with God, and God was getting a bit cheesed off with them. Let that be a word of warning. If you were playing okie-cokie games with God, he is a good God, and he's a loving God, and he will go to every extreme to get your attention. But don't play games for too long. I would encourage you not to play games at all. And if you've heard this right now, wake up. Because the Jews kept playing games. And to the point of God goes, okay, have it your way. You play games? <laughs> you can play games? Here you go. And the Babylonians come. They had a king, Nebuchadnezzar, was a bad guy. And King Nebi came in and they wiped everything out. When I say wiped, it was a full wipeout. And the Israelites go, oh God, you're God, where, where, where are you? And he says, you want to do it your way? You want to play games? Now you'll know what it's like. They were magnificent. Jerusalem was the place to go. Solomon's temple was people would travel for miles to come and see. They'd see miracle after miracle. They had a wall that went round the Jerusalem, around the city. They were, the businesses were doing well. But in one day, when the Babylonians come, they left it with not a brick, not a stone unturned. It was just rubble. The whole protection of the whole wall, it just wasn't broken down. It was dust. The gates were all burned. The houses were gone. The temples destroyed. And the people were taken into slavery. Sometimes I find in life it takes a very hard and a tough season of life for us to wake up. And this unfortunately went for a long time. The Jews were demoralized, they'd lost hope, they'd lost their future. And this went on for such a long time that the kings died, new leaders come in and new wars were going on and the Jews were just getting moved round and moved round and then... In Ezra, it tells us when these new leaders come in. So we're kind of going a long, long time later, decades later, we find that the Jews were allowed to start going back to their promised land, back to their home, to start to build it again. Not all in one go. They were sent back in groups. And over a long time, we had over 50,000 Jews back in Jerusalem they could come back in, they could start building the walls, they could start building the temple, worshipping God like they knew together God has not forgotten them. They got another time to change it around. I'd like to say that's what happened. 50,000 people is a lot of people, isn't it? But they come back and that's not exactly what did not happen. They were broken. And they all started to fend for themselves, not for each other. They couldn't lead anybody else because they could hardly lead themselves, trying to build their own little house, trying to get sorted, trying to kind of, where do I go? I can't look after everybody else. So walls didn't get done and the temples didn't get built. 
If there was no wall, there was no protection. No leadership, there was no direction. No confidence, no plans, no hope. It was just a dead end. And so here we have ordinary Nehemiah. And he sees his brother, and it must have been a great time, and why his brother was there, we don't really know, because it's over a thousand miles to be where he was. He'd just come from Judea. And so he says to his brother, hey, how's it all going? How's the homeland going? Nehemiah had never lived there. He's just heard the stories over the years. And now they've been back for over 150 years. It's going to be really good. Things are going to be booming. The economy is going to be great. People are going to see God on a different scale as they can see that they're all worshipping God again. But his brother says in chapter 1, verse 3, it says, And they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. It went straight to Nehemiah's heart. He couldn't believe it. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when something really bothers you deep down and you just know you can't take it anymore? He knew he couldn't do nothing and he was so disappointed with his families and the Jews for just not doing something. And so in chapter 1 verse 4 he says, when he heard these things, Nehemiah sat down and wept. He had a good cry. He bawled his eyes out, but it wasn't just navel gazing. It wasn't just crying about me. He cried his heart out and repented before God on behalf of his nation. He repented before God for, for the things that they've turned and not been faithful to God in. A long way away, over a thousand miles away was Judea, uh, was Jerusalem. Judea was where his brothers came from to come and tell him this. But here we find Nehemiah, he's in the palace, he's comfortable. He's well looked after. If the Jews can't get their act together, well that's their fault. But he didn't say that, did he? He decided that it burnt so much in him because he knew they could do better. So the question is today is, what breaks your heart? What burdens you? Often I find in life that some things that burden you, that is a divine burden from God. That's a mandate from God. You might feel ordinary. You might just feel an everyday person, but God is putting desires and things in your heart for you to contribute to make a difference. What is it that crushes your spirit? Nehemiah was crushed. He wasn't just crushed for himself because he was comfortable. But he was crushed for his community. Maybe for you, what might crush your spirit or your ears pick up is maybe when you hear about children that are in need or need a better education or the youth that are needing somewhere to go or some more role models. Maybe it crushes your spirit when you hear about people that are bound in addiction, homelessness. Maybe it crushes your spirit when you hear about relationships being broke down and marriages that are breaking. 
Maybe it crushes your spirit when you hear and see on the news about children and communities that are living in poverty and that don't have just basics of clean water or medicines or vaccines and they are dying. Maybe it crushes your spirit when you hear about the unborn child. I don't know if you're aware, but tomorrow there's going to be a vote in Parliament and so they want to raise the abortion to be all the way up to birth. So that means that if I am due to give birth tomorrow, I could have an abortion today. That just logic just blows my mind. But that is the world that we're living in. Does that crush your spirit enough that you're saying, I don't want to know what to do, but I'm going to do something? Well, Nehemiah found himself in the same place. He sat down and he cried before God. And as he cried, I don't just mean cry and kind of wipe away tea and get on and start cooking again. He repented before God. He poured his heart out before God. And in chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Some days he mourned and fasted before the Lord. You know, early on in the chapter, it tells us about the, it was Kislev and um, the month of Niz, um, Nisan. And through this period where Nehemiah was uh, praying and fasting, it was about a four, four and a half month period it wasn't just one prayer or one day he fasted and prayed before God. He poured out time and time again. He poured out his whole heart before God. He sat down and then he knelt down to pray. If it's big enough to cry about, it's big enough to pray about. Remember, you plus God is a majority every time. Never think about you're on your own. If you've invited Jesus in your heart, you've got the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are not by yourself. You plus God is always a majority. So Nehemiah prayed out to God. He prayed right at the beginning and he prays right at the end. We know of 12 prayers that he does, and that's not just all the prayers that would be going on. And the day comes when he just says, Lord, what can I do? He reflects before God and he was, he's known um, very much in leadership. He is, he is the person that pastors look to, that leadership look to. He, the way he delegates and the way he structures and the way he puts things together. And yet this was not his upbringing. But he made a difference, a huge difference, because he was willing to stand in the gap. He cried, he sat down and cried. When you sit down, he fell on in his knees and he repented and fasted. And then, but not least, after he's repented, he knows it's time to rebuild. He stands up to act. He stands up and in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 4, 4 to 5 behind me, he said, the king said to me, what is it you want? Nehemiah comes into his presence on this day. He's doing his normal job and the king notices he's not his usual bubbly self. To be in the king's presence and not to be putting smiles on could be a death sentence. You were not allowed to trouble or burden the king in any shape or form. And so the king's saying, you're not ill. Nehemiah will be very nervous. He was very fearful because he knows what could have happened. But he was so crushed of spirit. He was so waiting for the moment. He didn't know today would be that moment. But he was a man that he was going to use his influence and pray before God that God would make a door open. He'd planned and thought it through and believed that the Holy Spirit could guide and use him. 
And the king said to him, what is it you want? And I prayed. Some version says he prayed under his breath. <laughs> he said, oh, Lord, here we go. This is it. This is the moment. Please just direct me right now. Have you ever done them prayers? If it pleases the king, Nehemiah said, if your servant has found favor in your, your sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors buried so that I can rebuild it. There was nobody doing anything. He couldn't sit around and do nothing anymore. He asked the king for permission. He told the king that he would set a time and that he would be back. He wasn't asking to go forever. He promised to come back. As we hear later on and as you read through the first couple of chapters of Nehemiah, you will find that the king grants him his request. But this cheeky, ordinary guy doesn't just leave it there. That's a miracle in itself that the king requests, um, grants his request. But he says, can you also give me a letter of protection? So I know that no one's going to hurt us or harm us. And the king sends groups of soldiers with him to protect him. And he has a letter of protection. And then Cheeky Nehemiah just goes a bit further and says, would you be able to supply the wood and the timber? Will you give me the resources I need to build? Sometimes we're not sure where our heart is going to lead when we put it before God. But if you are willing to step out and hold the hand of Jesus... It will be a different journey. It could be a bit of a roller coaster at times. But I can assure you that you will see things that you will have never dreamt of seeing before. You know, when I was about 14, 15, um, I was at a camp and we were worshipping God and I brought my heart before God and there was a call at the front. <clears throat> I was only young. And he was a, a worship leader at the time, some of you will know him, called Chris Bowater. And he sang a song that, if you've been in the church for a long time, you will have heard. And it's, here I am, wholly available. As for me, I will serve the Lord. And I broke my heart before God and I said, Lord, I, I don't know what to do. I didn't really have a lot to offer. I was just an ordinary girl. And the verse goes, the fields are white unto harvest, but all the laborers are so few. So, Lord, I give myself to help the reaping to gather precious souls for you. I sang this and really meant it, and I gave a promise to God. Where you send me, I'll go. Where you want me, I'll go. Now, I was only young and I had a lot to learn. I hadn't really gone very far. I'd, only, I'd come from Richmond down the road. I was used to sheep and cows, and I was quite at home with all that. I'd never been on a train till I was 13. I'd never had a passport. I'd never gone anywhere. The biggest highlight we would have is maybe every six weeks to go to Darlington for our shopping. That was a day trip. Once a year, we'd maybe have a family holiday in a caravan at Scarborough. And that was, whoo, that was like going to Australia. I didn't realize when I grew up, it was so close. We lived a very simple, ordinary life. I stood before God and I generally just didn't sing a song. I gave him my heart and I had no idea where that was going to lead. No idea at all. People often say to me, Kath, did you always know you were going to be a pastor? Did you know you were going to go into the ministry? No, 
not in the slightest. I was a country bumpkin. Not done particularly well at school. I was your average, everyday plodder. But that kept me focused. And step by step, God just kept opening doors. Oh yes, it's been a stormy road. And oh yes, we have seen very lots of highs and lots of lows. But when you see people who didn't know Jesus, who've been broken and who found Jesus and their lives transformed, it is worth every minute. Today, what crushes you? What burdens you? Will you trust God today to step out like Nehemiah did? Would you sit and down this week and pour your heart before God? And from sitting, would you learn to kneel and to fast and pray? What is that divine calling that he's put in? And some things are just for a season. Nehemiah wasn't building for the rest of his life. It was just for a season. There'll be other things that would come as well later on. And then he stood up and took action. He didn't start the work alone and he didn't finish the work alone. Nehemiah was the influencer and God helped him as he got teams and people around him. God uses his ordinary people. And through these extraordinary stories we hear as we go on for next week, lots of opposition comes. Lots of rough times comes for Nehemiah. And next week we'll find out what do you do when hard times come? What do you do when you step out in front of God and do what you believe is the right thing to do? And it's not easy. Often people say to me, do you know, I don't find life easy. Well, join the club. I don't think life is easy. If you're a Christian or not a Christian. I think life's pretty hard and pretty tough going. I think all of us have lots of things that we're working through. But I can 110% tell you, I would rather do this life holding God's hand than not holding his hand. Bad things happen to good people. But even whatever happens, whatever comes through that door, wherever I step out, I know when I'm holding God, he will give me the words. He will direct me. He will fill my mouth and he will direct my footsteps. Will you stand up and take action? Will you go forth and make a difference in Teesside as we do together? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You know, we, like Pastor Kat said, we all are ordinary people. But when we accept Jesus into our lives, our lives become extraordinary because we serve an extraordinary God. Now today, if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, I just want to say to you that is the best decision that you would ever make in your life. Because He will come alongside you. He will guide you. 
He'll protect you. So if there's anyone here today that does not know Jesus as their Savior, you can put your hand up or you could just believe in your heart. I'm just going to pray for you. And if you're online, you can lift your hand up as well on that platform and request prayer. But we don't want to miss this opportunity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If that is you lifting up your hand today, we're just going to say a simple prayer. And that is you, because the gift of salvation is free. It's free to all. We've all received the gift of salvation for those of us that know Jesus. It is a free gift. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord, we do pray for those that are wanting to give their heart to you. And if you just repeat this prayer, Lord Jesus, I thank you. And I believe that you are the Lord of Lords. I believe that you are the Son of the Most High God. And today I give you my heart. And I ask that you come and be the center of my life, that you come and be the captain of my life. And I believe in you and I trust in you and I commit my life to you in Jesus' name. You know, if that's you today and you've given your heart to the Lord, please come and see somebody. Come and see one of us after the service. We would love to pray with you. For those of you that are feeling, you know what? something in that word has just touched my heart because God has placed something within me. He's, you know, like Pastor Kath said, what burns within you? What, what is in your heart? Because there's something in you. You see, God's created each one of us with purpose. He's created each one of us with destiny and purpose for our lives. So each one of you here, there is something that burns within you. Something that burns within me is not something that would burn with my daughter Rachel or, or with Faith or with other people, but something special burns within you. And when we grab hold of that that burns within us, then we become part of that functioning body of Christ because then we live out God's purpose for our lives. So today, even as we're going to listen to the song, Fresh Wind, it's going to be played in the background. I want you to just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And even as you go into your connect groups through the week, allow, even through the discussion and, and the times that you will have, allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us, to speak to us. What is it that burns within us? Because this could be the week that we take a step of moving forward into the purpose for which God has called us to. Also, it's our opportunity to give as a body of Christ. So if you want to give to what goes on, and like it's titled there, The Good Work, if you want to give toward what goes on, the good work in the destiny, it's your opportunity. If you're in-house, you can give at the connect point. If you're online, the link will come up. But that is our act of worship to the Lord as well as we give. So as the song plays, Fresh Wind, just allow it to minister to you this morning. Just allow the word that has come forth so powerfully, what is it that burns within us? How is it that we can join church, we can join the body of Christ to start the good work that God has called us to? 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank